Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue to work our way through this book of the Bible. Let me get one more thing back here as I get started. Let's see if it'll fit. All right, there we go. Uh, quick note as we get started this morning, I want you to know that Paula Lawson, who we have put before you as our new preschool ministry director that Emmaus voted overwhelmingly uh, in favor of inviting Paula to come and be our preschool ministry director. And so she will start her first Sunday on August the 13th here with us. And so we think about parent-child dedications like we had earlier and the joy of being able to do that and how Amy has served our church family for so many years. And Paula is going to be coming and leading that ministry, also leading our Compass weekday preschool program. One gift that we could give to Paula when she comes is that she would not walk in on the 13th and we would tell her, hey, we have a lot of preschool Sunday school openings. <laughs> like, uh, we don't want her to walk into that. And so I know Amy would appreciate this. Paula would appreciate this. If the Lord would put it on your heart or you would be interested in serving with preschool Sunday school, we still have several opportunities for the upcoming school year. So if you're interested in that, if that's something that God might put on your heart to do, reach out to me, reach out to Courtney, frankly, reach out to Amy. She would be glad to talk to you as well uh, about this. We want to be able, when Paula comes, to say, we've got preschool Sunday school covered. You just jump in, love on people, meet parents, do that type of thing. And so I think I tell you every year about my mom, who I think has taught pre-K Sunday school since I was in pre-K, uh, she just keeps going year after year after year. And the, the families you meet, the lives you impact. If you're unsure how well you know your Bible, just teach pre-K Sunday school. And you'll be asked all kinds of questions. Like you'll learn things about the Bible that you never knew you needed to know. And so it's a great gift. If you're interested in that, if God would lead you to do that, reach out. We want to be able to, uh, be able to get you the information and, and get you connected to that. So thank you about preschool ministry. Thinking about parent-child dedication, all these things, there are few things that cause more stress and pressure for a parent than trying to navigate toddler nap time, baby nap time, like everything, you know, they fall asleep in the car and it throws all your plans off, or you're going to go someplace and you have to make sure you plan nap time just right. There are also few things that cause more sadness uh, for young parents than when three naps becomes two naps, and two naps becomes one nap, and then you reach the dreaded no nap time uh, anymore. Not happiness because they're, because they're growing, but when they start to lose those naps, you're like, man, I laid them down. I was going to get something done. I didn't get anything done. I didn't rest. Now they're waking back up. Like, what have I done? How did I miss out on, on this opportunity? Uh, we would tell our kids, obviously, when they're toddlers, Logical reasoning doesn't work particularly well, but we would tell our kids, this nap isn't actually for you. This nap you're going to take is for us. Like, we need the break. We need to get something done. We don't need you to nap for you. Just, just do, it, do it for us. We live in a world where people are exhausted. We live in a world where young parents need rest, teenagers need rest, empty nesters need rest, older adults need rest, the statistics won't surprise you about this, but 58% of middle schoolers and 73% of high school students get less than the recommended amount of sleep every night. So 
you guys keep going, you're doing great. You're right on the national averages. So uh, 58% of middle schoolers, 73% of high school students don't get the amount of sleep they're supposed to get. More than one-third of U.S. adults sleep less than seven hours per night. I won't make you raise your hand about that, uh, but almost one-third, more than one-third sleep less than seven hours. And the numbers for single parents are obviously just astronomically harder than that. Number three, 7% of adults nap every day, but 80% of adults have taken at least one nap of 10 minutes or longer in the past three months. And we know those people must attend church. So, uh, you know, during, during a sermon, like they've completely got that covered. It's, it's, it's no problem there. Uh, when we lived in New Orleans, when we lived in New Orleans, and I was going through the PhD program there at the seminary, I was the financial aid director for the school, and this was a season of PhD program, working full time, we had young kids, Amanda was holding down side jobs, we just didn't really sleep for five years, like it, it was very little sleep for five years, and so I remember one afternoon, I was in my office there at the seminary, and I was processing financial aid applications, which many of you will fill out in a couple of years, and, and that time will come. And so I was processing these financial aid applications. I'm not sure how long I slept or when I fell asleep, but I woke up, and standing in the door to my office is the number two guy at the seminary. Like, my boss's boss is standing right there in, in the door. And so it's like that startled wake up, and you're like, Oh, man, I was just praying for all these students that were, uh, like, that I would process the, I don't know why, I'm, you know, I don't know how long I prayed, but I prayed for a long time. Like, I was just, just exhausted. You go through seasons of life that you think, am I ever going to rest? Like, am I ever going to feel better? We've got a lot that we can say about the topic of rest over the next few weeks. I want to remind you where we are in the book of Hebrews. Just a quick review of how Hebrews is set up. Hebrews chapter, the book of Hebrews follows this theme of Jesus is better than anything else in the world. Anything you came before, anything that could come in the future, Jesus is better than. But the way the author of Hebrews does this is in chapter 1, Jesus is better than the angels. And what the author does is he causes us to look toward the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is fully God, that we look to him, he is better than the angels. Chapter 2 Jesus is better than Adam. So Jesus is humanity. Jesus is ultimately what it means to be fully human in this world. Hebrews chapter 3, Jesus is better than Moses. That Jesus is fully faithful as a son in the house of God. And so we see that Moses is a wonderful character, a famous character, but Jesus is better. Chapter 4, Jesus is better than Joshua. And even the name Jesus is connected to that Old Testament name, Joshua. Jesus is better than Joshua because he is fully able to bring rest to our lives. We're going to take this topic for three weeks because I can't cover it all this morning. It's going to be a shorter sermon because we had so many things going on in the service. Plus, it just needs more time. So we're going to spend three weeks talking about rest. And my hope is that over the next three weeks, you would know more about the rest that Jesus wants to give you in your life. You would know that that rest is eternal, but you would also know that that rest that Jesus wants to give you in your life, it can begin right now. And so we're going to look at scripture together this morning, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. Let's see how this chapter is put together. This week is kind of the high level. Let's, let's get the theological background, and then we'll get super practical the next two weeks following this. But verse 1, Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, 
while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The way this chapter is put together is you're going to see the word therefore, therefore three different times. Verse 1, verse 6, verse 11. Verses 1 and 11 have commands for us to listen to. So verse 1 and verse 11, which we're going to look at together, have commands that we're supposed to listen to to respond to God's rest, to God's work in our lives. Verse 6 in the middle is something God is going to do. So 1 and 11 we do. They're commands to us about rest. Verse 6 in the middle is about the work that God is going to do. And the first command here is be afraid. Be very, very afraid. <laughs> what does it mean to fear that we would not enter God's rest? This fear that the author is talking about is he is telling the people, you're afraid of what other people think about you. You're afraid you're going to lose your job. You're afraid your possessions are going to be taken away. You're afraid your life is going to be cut short. You have all these fears in the world around you, all these circumstantial fears, all these fears of other people. And he tells them, if you want to try and find true life, true rest, fear God above all things. What does the book of Proverbs say in the Old Testament? Wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to live a wise life, if you want to live the life that God has put before you, you need to begin by fearing God. Now, we know that generationally, even just the way our church is put together, my personality, I acknowledge this completely up front, the, the days of like hellfire and brimstone preaching, you know, you can still find that, but I've tried it, I'm really bad at it, it's just, it's not me, and it's really not Emmaus, but hear me say this, okay, hear me say this, even though we may not preach like that, or we may not, and, and that hellfire and brimstone fear-based preaching, it's been misused in some really bad, manipulative ways over the years. But hear me clearly. We will fear the Lord. That will happen. And we need to see this verse of Scripture telling us this is not a game. This is not a joke. We're not here to be entertained. We are here to come before the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who has made possible salvation. And it does matter how we respond. And we will respond in worship and we will respond in reverence, and we will respond in faith, and we will respond in devotion to him. And so we're not going to be fear, fearful of other people. We're not going to be fearful of the circumstances in this world, but we will stand before God saying, I do not want to miss the life that you have provided. I stand in worship before you. Why? Because there are people who came before us who missed what God had for their life. There are people who came before who didn't respond to God's work in their life. How do we know this? Well, because there's a verse 2 in, in this chapter. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 tells us, For good news came to us just as it did to them. Now, them here specifically is pointing back to the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers and the Old Testament that we looked at last week. They heard good news, but the message they heard did not benefit them. It wasn't any good. It didn't lead to life for them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, God has been giving a good news promise to his people for generations. For thousands of years, people have heard the good news of God's promise that I will rescue you out of your sin and I will take you to the promised land. And so they heard that. In a sense, Adam and Eve heard that. 
in a very direct sense. The wilderness generation heard that. The people in Psalm 95 heard that. The people in the first century heard that. And we hear that today. There is good news for your life. God created you and loved you. He will rescue you out of your darkness and junk and life. And he has a future for you that is greater than anything you could ever imagine. God created and loved you. He will rescue you out of your darkness and junk, and he has a future for you. This is good news. Will you receive it? Will you trust in that? Will you believe that that is true? Because if you don't, you will miss what God has prepared for your life, what God is calling you to. Look at verse 3. It carries this theme forward. Verse 3. For we have believed, so we who have believed, the author says, we enter that rest. Just as he has said, and he's going to quote from Psalm 95 here again, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished long ago from the foundation of the world. I'll just tell you right now, okay? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3 is one of those verses you read the first time and you're like, who's on first? Uh, <laughs> I have, no, I have no idea what that verse says. Like I, there were multi, I had to write out so many times this week in my notes, like, do I understand what's going on? Let me, I don't mean to throw this out as a trick or, or you know, something like that, but there's a really good lesson in Bible study here. If you read a passage of Scripture and you get to the end and you scratch your head and think, I have no clue what that said, there's a couple of strategies you can take, but one that I always use, if it, you will start at the end, and work your way backward through that verse, a lot of times it'll clarify. So you read a verse like this forward to the end, and you're like, I have no idea what that said. When that happens to you, start at the end and back up. So what do you have? At the end of this verse, you have a reference to how God's works were finished from the foundation of the world. So from the very beginning of creation, God creates in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rests. And the way the Bible story is set up is that seventh day of God's creation, don't miss this because the whole rest of the thing will kind of go sideways for you. The seventh day of creation, when God rests, the way the story is set up is that is open-ended. That rest, that seventh day, in a sense, continues forever. And so you have this idea that God's works of creation were finished there. Well, now, okay, so that's true. Back up another phrase in the verse, going backward. You have that quote from Psalm 95 where he said, As I swore in my wrath, there is a group of people. They, that group of people, they shall not enter my rest. Okay? So God provided a seventh day rest. He provides rest for his people. But we know there are some people who have missed out on that rest. So then back up another phrase to the beginning of verse 3. What do you see at the beginning of verse 3? We who have believed, we enter that rest. God provided rest. Some people have missed out on that rest, but we are entering that rest. Why? Because we're better than them? Because we've got all our junk together? Because we do more good things? No, why? Because we believe. Because we believe in what Jesus has provided for us through the cross and the resurrection. Look at verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 just kind of carry that idea on. Verse 4, he has spoken somewhere, meaning in the book of Genesis, spoken somewhere of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Now, 
Here's a question that you should be asking. Here's a question you should be asking. What in the world does he mean by rest, Owen? Like, this word shows up over and over and over again. How do we enter God's rest? Like, what does it mean to rest? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is probably the most information-heavy slide I have, but I want to throw this in front of you because it provides a summary. If we don't define rest in this chapter, then man, we're just all over the place when it comes to understanding God's word here. So what does the author mean that we are supposed to enter the rest of God? Okay, number one, how do we enter it? By faith. That's super clear in the passage. We get that over and over and over again. We don't enter by our own force, by our own good works, by our money. We enter because of faith in Jesus. Okay? We're good on that. That's very straightforward. When exactly do we enter the rest? When, when do we make it to the rest? Well, this will cause Bible scholars to write huge books about this question. And you can find things all over the place. Some people say God's rest in these verses for your life is future heaven eternity. It will, it will happen down the road someday. You'll enter that rest when you die or when Jesus comes back. Other Bible scholars will say that rest is right now. You are living in God's rest right now. And you're like, well, man, I am awfully tired to be living in God's rest. If this is what God meant by his rest, I'm struggling. Like, I don't know that I've, I've quite gotten it yet. So which one is it? Well, you can't choose between two. You just say it's just both. <laughs> like, it's, it's both. And we would say this is New Testament theology at its very best. When do you enter God's rest for your life? Already? Not yet. This is how at Emmaus we read the New Testament and all of God's word. Already? Not yet. So can you experience God's rest in your life right now? Absolutely you can, and we're going to spend the next two weeks after this talking all about that. Have we already experienced everything that God's rest will mean in our lives? I sure hope not. <laughs> I sure hope not. There is a not yet element to God's rest that we will get to one day, that we will experience everything his rest is going to be. So what is, is his rest? It's, it's hard to summarize, but I've kind of gone with two ideas up here. Eternal life in his presence, just what it means to be in the presence of God, kind of Genesis 1 and 2 brought to its perfect completion, and then also a present experience right now of this awesome word shalom. Extra points if you can fit shalom into a conversation this week, but uh, shalom is that great Old Testament word that speaks of peace, but not peace that means absence of difficulties, not peace that means I'm being lazy, it's peace that means all is as it should be between us and God and us and other people, that I am living fully in God's word, in God's world. If we can get the next two weeks right, we're going to talk about what that shalom, what that peace looks like in your life. Like, why, what can it, how can I have rest? How can I have rest in my heart? How can my mind be at rest? Some, some of you are like me, your mind is your worst enemy. It runs 100 miles an hour, and it always runs against you 100 miles an hour, and it's circling. you got these ideas, and like, my mind is never at peace. Maybe you feel like your home doesn't have a lot of peace. Maybe your friendships don't have a lot of peace. How do you experience that? Well, that's, that's what we're going to work our way toward over the next couple of weeks. But I want you to know that peace, that rest, is about life in his presence, 
and about experiencing this right now. Okay, is this possible? Verse 6. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter this rest. This is good news. This says this is possible for your life. Since it remains, and those who formerly received the good news, they failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, God appoints a certain day. What's today called? It's called today. I gave it away. That was really badly done. He appoints a certain day called today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Is peace possible in your life? Is rest possible in your life? Yes, absolutely. That good news is being presented to you right now the best way I know how to tell you that Jesus brings rest to your life. When can you receive that rest in your life? Today. And there is a built-in warning to this passage that says don't wait for tomorrow. I mean, how many things in our life have we had good intentions of doing and we just say I'll get to it tomorrow? Or you're on a road trip, you're going down the highway, and there's a sign that says rest area ahead, you know, this many miles. And you've got some people who are like, yeah, let's get off here. I've got to get off here. And then you've got somebody else like, no, let's go further. We can make it to the next rest area. There is a law in life that says if you pass the open rest area, guaranteed the next one will be closed. Okay, that's just like a guaranteed road trip law. If you pass up one rest area, the next one is not going to be open. This verse says, if you hear the good news of Jesus, respond today. Don't wait. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. How many teenagers have said, I'll get my right, life right with God after I live for myself for a while? How many young adults have said, when we ha get married and we have kids, then we'll really get our life right with the Lord? Or, hey, when the kids grow up, then we'll get our life right with the Lord. You just keep putting it off, keep putting it off. And it's dangerous to continue to put it off. Today is the day of salvation. Verse 8. If Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. If rest had happened in the time of Joshua, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. But we know that rest ultimately didn't happen in the time of Joshua. So you might be asking, okay, tell me about the story of Joshua. Now, last week, I told you that I was going to look for flannel graph to be able to tell the Bible stories. It turns out we have so much flannel graph at Emmaus, okay? <laughs> I, I should have known that. Like, I, I should have been aware that there is so much flannel graph. I got in the middle of the flannel graph pile this week, uh, and I got totally overwhelmed and panicked, okay? So I backed out. I leave flannel graph to the experts. Here's our friends back on the stage, or back on the screen again, to tell us about the story of Joshua. Okay. If you don't know your Old Testament well, let's talk about the story of Joshua and what it means that he was supposed to provide rest for the people. Little map there on the left. Remember, the people were supposed to come up I-44 into the Promised Land. They messed up. They got taken around to the east side. Now they've got to come in from the east on I-40. They're trying to get through Midwest City. They didn't realize there was a huge military base there, so they've got problems. So they're supposed to be coming into the Promised Land and Moses tells Joshua, Joshua's a good-looking, strong guy over there, and so uh, Moses tells Joshua, you're going to have to lead the people. 
I can't go into the promised land. And if you don't know why Moses can't go in the promised land, that's a fun, st- well, it's a hard story to read. It's a good story to read. But Joshua is going to have to lead the people. So the next screen, Joshua is going to lead the people into the promised land. You remember this lady from last week? She wasn't having it last week, and she's still not having it uh, this week. She's like, more water. Everywhere we go, we have water problems. And so they get to the Jordan River, and they're supposed to be coming into the promised land, and they've run into the Jordan River. And again, what does God do? He separates the waters, and the people go into the promised land. Now, that's just part of the process. They go across the river, but what happens when they get into the promised land? Is everything easy, taken care of? No way. Like, there are huge giants they have to face. There's all these problems. They have to spread the land out. But finally, you get to Joshua chapter 21, and it says that Joshua provided rest for the people. You're like, time out. Joshua 21 says that Joshua brought the people in the land and they found rest. What does verse 8 say in your Bible? If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day. So did Joshua give them rest or did he not? He gave them the most rest he could at the time. He took them into that promised land, but that was not the end of God's plan. There was a deeper rest. There was a more lasting rest. There was a more perfect rest that was to come. And that would only come through Jesus. Look at verse 9. My Bible closed on me. Let's find verse 9. Verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Not Joshua's rest in the land. A Sabbath rest for the people of God remains. For whoever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his. Okay, this is so much fun. If your Bible like has fireworks coming out of it or, or your, your screen is like exploding, it's because this verse is loaded with incredible theology. Like this is one of those verses that you start to dig and it just gets more amazing the more you dig into it. Here's what I want you to see and we'll, we'll take care of more of it next week. What is happening here? is the author is taking this idea of rest and he is combining the rest that God provided for his people in Genesis chapter 2 on the seventh day of creation. He's talking about this rest that Joshua was able to give them a little bit, but in the middle of this verse is a reference to rest that comes from the book of Leviticus in your Bible. Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 23. Here's what this is connected to, and this is going to follow us all throughout the book of Hebrews. This rest is connected to what is called the Day of Atonement, okay? So on the Day of Atonement, one time per year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement, would would make a sacrifice that would deal with the sins of the people. Right here, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What kind of rest is being promised to us. Not that we would have a particular piece of land, not that we would have a particular day of the week. The rest that is being provided to you is that your sins, your darkness, your junk has been taken care of through Jesus Christ. The greatest rest you could have in your life is not a nap this afternoon. Yeah, that's very nice. We're totally in favor of that. All of that's good. The greatest rest you could have in your life is to know that you don't have to hold your life together. You don't have to impress other people. You don't have to prove yourself to other people. You don't have to earn your salvation, that you have been given salvation through Jesus. 
All you have to do is receive that. How do you enter that rest? Verse 11, let's wrap up with this. Verse 11, what are we supposed to do? Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of obedience. You come to this point, what are we gonna give ourselves to? We want that rest. If you're here this morning and you're in a relationship that's difficult, tiring, you're unsure what to do, maybe you're at a job that you can't think of any other word to say I'm just tired of this job, home feels chaotic, there's no rest in your mind, no rest in your heart, I want you to know that the word of God says strive to enter that rest. You may be here this morning and what you need to hear is that what you are experiencing right now is not the end of the story. That God has laid before you, your, your, your future in this life and the life to come is not defined by what happened last week or last month or last year or in your childhood. There is set before you this promise of rest. Let's enter it, let's enter. Like we're not gonna hold back, we're not gonna fall to the side, we're not doing anything except moving forward toward Jesus. Why? Because true rest is found through faith in Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, probably two of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. Jesus is gentle toward us, he is humble toward us, and he promises rest for our souls. Naps are good, totally in favor of that. Sleeping well at night, at night is good. The rest we truly need is rest for our souls. Jesus has provided that for you. Would you bow your head? I want to walk you through a time of prayer, and then we're going to be dismissed here in a second. Would you bow your head? I want you to think a little bit about God's work in your life. Right now, is rest a word that you would use to describe your life? Do you feel rested? Do you feel at peace? Or maybe you feel just exhausted, tired. You're, you're, you're beaten down by the circumstances of life. You've had situations that have happened that just make you feel tired. Your mind, your heart just feel like they're racing. I want you to know that there is rest for your soul. There's rest for your mind. There's rest for your heart. And it comes through faith in Jesus. We live in a world where people are exhausted. We, we run ourselves ragged trying to get ahead in the world, trying to be involved in everything, trying to do everything. And the gift of the gospel, the gift of church, is that we would be able to come together right now take a deep breath and say, we have rest through Jesus. No matter what happens this afternoon, no matter what happens in your life this week, right now, you can know that rest is possible. If you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, you've never had that rest, can I beg you, don't wait for tomorrow. It's easy to say, I'll take care of that this week, I'll talk to the pastor later. Today, as soon as I pray for us and, you're, and people are dismissed, come and talk to me. Don't, don't wait for tomorrow. Today, respond to that. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, but your life doesn't feel at rest, 
I hope you'll commit to God's word over the next couple of weeks to learning more about how to experience that rest that God has for you. Let's do that as a church. We need to rest well together as a church so we can do what God's created us to do. Father, thank you for parent-child dedications. (laughs) Thank you for these baptisms. Thank you for a church that loves to sing together, loves to pray together, loves to study scripture together. God, thank you for the beauty of the book of Hebrews, how the Old Testament and New Testament connect together and just all this theology that bursts off the pages. And all of that theology points us to Jesus. And we want to be a church that points other people to Jesus so they can find rest and life and hope. So God, we celebrate that together. Send us out to rest. Send us out to share that rest with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.